0: The History of the World Podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Volume 4 The Medieval World Episode 55 A Summary of Medieval Europe Part 2 During the previous episode, we told the story of the development of the medieval papacy, a much more secular role than any simple bishop of a bishopric. We also told the story of the birth of the Holy Roman Empire. The Pope would crown the Holy Roman Emperor as per his will, and generally it would be the King of Germany who would receive this honour. The Holy Roman Emperor would be expected to uphold the tradition of, and protect, the Roman Catholic Church and would aid the Pope in his ideological opposition of the Eastern Orthodox Christian Church, centred politically within the Byzantine Empire. The Classical Romans were the promoters of Christianity and the Byzantines saw themselves as the descendants of the Classical Romans and therefore the true custodians of the Christian faith in what we refer to as the Eastern Orthodox Church. Although the Pope was an effective monarch of the Papal States, his military resources were limited, and so by declaring one of the strongest monarchs of Europe as the true King of the Romans, and eventually the Holy Roman Emperor, he would have a strong political ally in charge of an effective military force. When the King of Germany was crowned the Holy Roman Emperor, it didn't come with a great deal of resources. The king of Germany would still have the same issues with the same neighbours and his priority was to Germany rather than doing anything in particular for the Pope. What the Pope did have was the ability to represent God's will and this would affect all of the Roman Catholic kings of Europe who may have feared going against the Pope for fear of incurring the wrath of God. Henry IV became the king of Germany as a minor. During the 1050s. During his minority, he was kidnapped by an archbishop, and this may have contributed towards his actions as an adult king when he took it upon himself to start appointing his own bishops within his kingdom, something that wasn't the norm. In 1073, the new pope was Gregory VII, and he would be quick to condemn Henry's attempts to control the church, not just in Germany, but in Italy as well. Henry asked his bishops to declare Pope Gregory VII's election as invalid, so Gregory excommunicated Henry. Henry paid a penance by walking to Rome to meet with the Pope and have his excommunication lifted. It wouldn't be long before Gregory excommunicated Henry again, so Henry's supporters encouraged the promotion of an anti-pope, while papal loyalists in Germany propped up an anti-king in opposition to Henry. This conflict between the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor was called the investiture controversy and just demonstrated that both the Pope and the King of Germany would not always benefit from each other if the individuals who filled the role and the politics of the day were not conducive. Churches and monasteries were traditionally the centres for education during the Middle Ages in Europe, but a university emerged in the city of Bologna in northern Italy that changed the nature of education. Centres of education had existed in the classical world and in other areas of the world, but this institution in Bologna was not directly associated with any ecclesiastical building and it is considered to be the oldest European university in continuous operation, even predating the highly regarded English universities at Oxford and Cambridge. A date of 1088 has been tentatively selected as the original date of when this institution in Bologna could be referred to as a university. The subject of education brings us to the story of Peter Abelard, the French philosopher and polymath. Abelard travelled to Paris in order to study, but his ability to debate caused discomfort to some of the masters that he encountered, and he would encounter some difficulties in finding an establishment to fit into and feel welcome. Eventually he would develop a following from students wishing to learn from him directly. One of the students was a female called Eloise d'Argentoï, who was 20 years younger than Abelard. The two fell in love and married in secret, with Héloïse giving birth to a son called Astrolabe, named after the scientific instrument. When Eloise's uncle, Fulbert discovered the love affair, Abelard would send Eloise to a nunnery for her own safety. Fulbert caught up with Abelard though, and Fulbert's men would castrate Abelard, thus removing his dignity and social status. Abelard ended up shamefully in a monastery. He would still write and study however. Monasteries could have a difficult relationship with the church if their principles differed from each other, but monasteries themselves could become a centre for wealth and corruption and this could cause discomfort for some very pious monks who wished to follow the rule of St Benedict more closely and live a life of genuine sacrifice. In 1098, Robert of Melun would guide 21 monks to establish a new order called the Cistercian Order at a new abbey at a place called Citeaux. This new observance of monasticism would grow in popularity very quickly. And within 50 years, there would be a Cistercian Pope called Eugene III. Crusades to the Holy Land The Pope Eugene III was a Pope who called for a crusade to the Holy Land, but he wasn't the first to do so. Back in 1095, it was the Pope Urban II who would respond to the loss of Byzantine lands to the Turkic Muslims by calling on Roman Catholics to travel to Asia in order to reclaim lost lands and to take control of the city of Jerusalem, and the capture of Jerusalem was successfully achieved during the First Crusade. However, it soon became apparent that the motivation of the Roman Catholics was not to rescue Byzantine lands, but to conquer them for themselves we are already aware that there was a great schism between the Roman Catholic Church of Rome and the Eastern Orthodox Church of Constantinople, the capital of the Byzantine Empire. The Crusades to the Holy Land are often numbered by historians for simplicity of reference, but Crusades could be called against any non-Roman Catholics, whether they be Muslims or pagans and Jews and Eastern Orthodox Christians standing in the way would be victimised by overzealous Crusaders, and this could sometimes create a difficult position for the Pope, who still had to justify the Crusaders' actions. The First Crusade, called by Pope Urban II, saw the Crusaders persecute Jews and plunder Byzantine territories on their way to the Holy Land, where they successfully captured Jerusalem. The Second Crusade, called by Pope Eugene III, was prompted by the loss of Christian territory in the Middle East but also involved campaigns against the Muslim Taifas in the Iberian Peninsula and the pagan West Slavs of Northeast Europe. The Third Crusade was called after the fall of Jerusalem in 1187 to the Ayyubid ruler Saladin. King Richard I of England known to history as Richard the Lionheart, led a spirited but unsuccessful campaign to recapture Jerusalem. On his way back from the Holy Land, Richard was captured by a Leopold V, the Duke of Austria, a duchy within the political influence of the Holy Roman Empire. Richard was held to ransom before he was released and able to head back to his Angevin Empire in the west of Europe. The Fourth Crusade was a controversial affair at the beginning of the 13th century which resulted in Crusaders capturing the city of Constantinople from the Byzantines. Their original mission was to attack the Ayyubids, the occupiers of Jerusalem but the Crusaders lacked the resources to be able to even reach the Holy Land and ended up controversially attacking their fellow Christians albeit Eastern Orthodox Christians of the Byzantine Empire. This created a very difficult situation for the Pope to justify but the Byzantines had to wait over 50 years before they could recapture Constantinople from the Latins. There would certainly be pressure on the papacy to justify itself to its subjects as the true word of God as some would question the motivations of the Pope. The Pope who called the Fourth Crusade was Innocent Third arguably the most influential medieval Pope of all. He was elected in 1198, and originally he was forced to excommunicate the Fourth Crusaders for attacking the Catholic port city of Zadar, now in modern Croatia. In French lands, a group of Christians called the Cathars refused to acknowledge the authority of the Pope, and one Cathar murdered a papal legate. Innocent III called for a crusade against the Cathars and an army marched to the city of Béziers where Cathars were in hiding. The Catholics of Béziers refused to give up the Cathars and so the entire city's population was slaughtered. Although many Christians agreed that the wider persecution of and crusades against the Cathars as heretics was justified, It is considered by others to be tantamount to genocide. Some of the popes had had reservations about supporting monastic movements for fear of being undermined by their piety. But Pope Innocent III recognised that by giving his blessing to particular monastic movements that it would serve to boost his own image, especially when trying to rally support against nominated heretics such as the Cathars. It may have been that this enabled Francis of Assisi to obtain the papal blessing after he chose to live a life of asceticism, preaching and begging. This meant the approval of the Franciscan Order of Friars. Innocent successor, Honorius III, approved the Dominican Order of Friars. Later in the 13th century, Pope Alexander IV attested to witnessing wounds on Francis' deceased body, which affirmed the claimed mysterious appearance of crucifixion wounds on his body after meditating on the fate of Jesus Christ. Pope Innocent III would call for a fifth crusade against the Ayyubids, which was largely unsuccessful. He declared the crusade at the 4th Lateran Council, held in 1215, in which Innocent made important reforms to the Church in order to maintain its appeal and to maintain papal respectability. Western Europe Jumping back to the 12th century and we have already touched upon the desire for the German kingdom to expand eastwards into disputed territories and wage war against pagan populations such as the Wends during the Second Crusade. A significant German member of the Second Crusade was the son of the Duke of Swabia and a man who would come to be known to history as Frederick Barbarossa. Frederick would campaign in the Middle East during the Second Crusade and build a good reputation for himself which undoubtedly bolstered his election to the role of King of Germany and his subsequent declaration as the Holy Roman Emperor. Frederick was fiercely intent on being a strong emperor, wishing to impose his will on his subjects. His campaigns in northern Italy were to suppress rebellious feelings towards the Holy Roman Empire by Italians who felt a greater affinity to the Pope. The Lombard League of northern Italian cities combined to defeat the army of Frederick Barbarossa in what has been described as a humiliating defeat for the Holy Roman Emperor. The Germans turned their attention towards Sicily in the south as a consequence by orchestrating a political marriage between the Hohenstaufen's of Germany and the Orteville's of Norman Sicily. Frederick Barbarossa eventually died while campaigning during the Third Crusade. The French King Louis VII also took part in the Second Crusade, and while he was campaigning, the abbot called Sujet would act as his regent. Sujet was a close confidant of Louis's father, King Louis VI of France, but after Louis VI's death, Louis VII originally rejected Sujet as his advisor. This enabled Sujet to turn his attentions to the reconstruction of his church at Saint-Denis. His chosen style of construction included the pointed archways and ribbed vaults that would quickly become highly popular throughout Western Europe and described as Gothic architecture. Louis VII was married to Eleanor, the Duchess of Aquitaine, a duchy in the southwest of modern France. When their marriage broke down, Eleanor married the heir to the English throne, Henry Kurt Mantle, the Count of Anjou. And when Henry acceded to the English throne a couple of years later, an Angevin Empire consisting of the lands under the direction of Anjou, the Duchy of Aquitaine and the Kingdom of England could be recognised. This huge expanse of Angevin-controlled territory was a huge concern for the French. King Henry II of England, as he was crowned, would also expand his influence to the island of Ireland, a realm that he would later grant to his son, John. One of the more infamous stories of the reign of Henry II was his relationship with Thomas Becket. Thomas Becket was a highly effective Chancellor for Henry II, and Henry saw an opportunity to extend his influence over the church in England by selecting Becket to become the new Archbishop of Canterbury. Becket was so loyal to the Church in his new role, that he refused to bow down to the demands of his King. So Henry II's plan had not worked out the way that he had expected. Becket was forced to flee England, and this would upset the Pope, who demanded that Henry allow Becket to return. Becket did return, but it was not long before four knights stormed Canterbury Cathedral and murdered Archbishop Becket. How much of a hand Henry II had in instigating this murder is still debated to this day. We have already spoken of the first of Henry II's sons to become king, Richard the Lionheart, who campaigned in the Third Crusade and was kidnapped by Leopold of Austria. Another of Henry's sons, John, who Henry had made the Lord of Ireland, became King after his older brother Richard. while John was the King of England. The French King Philip the Second, also known as Philip Augustus, would capture the city of Rouen and bring the Angevin territory of Normandy under French rule. King John's ineptness when it came to his military strategies led to wastage of money that angered the English Barons. And so the Barons looked to limit John's abilities by making him agree to a charter called the Magna Carta in 1215, a document cited as a milestone of modern democracy. English Jews who had migrated from Normandy after the Norman Conquest in England in 1066 were not subject to the same laws as the rest of the population. Originally, this meant that Jews could conduct their financial practices with freedom in order to be able to provide money for the crown, something that was difficult in a feudal kingdom where the king's subjects paid the king with services rather than cash. However, this also meant that the Jews would not enjoy the same protections that the Magna Carta promised to the barons and their subjects because the Jews were direct subjects of the king himself. In times of hardship, Jews were permitted to exercise high-interest loans to the public, which made them very unpopular in society generally, who saw them as extorters. King Henry Third of England made Jews wear identity badges which undoubtedly put them under greater individual danger and also he raised taxes on them. When the English barons led by Simon de Montfort rose up against the English king Henry III, the barons deliberately set about destroying documents belonging to the Jews in order to eliminate any records of the barons' debts. Jews were no longer permitted to lend money and when King Edward I, Henry's son, wanted to raise tax money from the general population, he promised to expel the Jews in order to raise his general popularity as a counterbalance. During the time of Simon de Montfort's rebellion under Edward's father Henry III, Each English town was able to elect a representative in a move that would signal the beginnings of the modern English parliament. Entering the 13th century and there were some considerable building and architecture projects going on. In the north of France there was a cathedral in the town of Chartres that was destroyed by fire in the year 1194. The town of Chartres was devastated because the cathedral contained a tunic that belonged to the Virgin Mary, Mother of Jesus. This holy relic attracted financial contributions towards the cathedral, so the loss of this relic was a disaster on more than one level. However, a group of priests emerged from the relative safety of the cathedral crypt with the relic intact. Suddenly there was a wave of financial support coming from all over Europe and so a new cathedral was built in the French Gothic style that still stands to this day and has been called one of the most beautiful Gothic cathedrals. The French king Louis IX obtained the crown of thorns. This holy relic is said to have been worn by Jesus before he was executed by crucifixion. When Louis received the relic, he commissioned the building of Sainte-Chapelle in the city of Paris where the relic could be kept along with others. Sainte-Chapelle was once again built in the Gothic style and can still be seen there today. The relics were actually moved to the Cathedral of Notre-Dame de Paris and they survived the fire in 2019. Now they are at the Louvre Museum. Cologne Cathedral in Germany was also constructed from the 13th century to house the holy relics that had been acquired by the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick Barbarossa during the previous century. The resulting twin-spired Gothic cathedral is now Germany's most frequently visited landmark. Eastern Europe in the lands of modern Russia by the 13th century, the southern lands of the Kievan Rus had broken up into a number of principalities, while the northern lands had become an independent Novgorod Republic. In 1237, a great invasion hit all of these lands from the east. This would be the arrival of the Mongols in Europe. This particular branch of the Mongols was called the Golden Horde and was led by Batu Khan, a grandson of the great Mongol ruler Genghis Khan. The Novgorodians relied heavily on the support of Prince Alexander Nevsky, who seemed like the only man capable of dealing with Novgorodian enemies on the battlefield and making diplomatic concessions to the Golden Horde in order to avoid total conquest. Alexander Nievsky earned his name after scoring a famous victory at the Battle of the Neva against the nation of Sweden, but he would also have to deal with the Teutonic Order that was on his western borderlands. The Novgorod Republic inherited the Eastern Orthodox Christian traditions of the Kievan Rus, while the Teutonic Order was a Roman Catholic militarised monastic order that was originally a German task force established in the Holy Land during the Crusades. With the Novgorod Republic now under the influence of the Golden Horde, the Mongols battled Poland at the Battle of Legnica where they scored a devastating victory which enabled Mongols to stream into the states of Eastern Europe, including Poland, Bohemia and Hungary. It was only the death of the highly ambitious military leader, Agudeg Khan, uncle of Batu and son of Chinggis, that stopped the westward ambitions of the Mongols. The Turn of the Fourteenth Century the end of the 13th century and the beginning of the 14th century marked the lifetime of Dante Alighieri, a Florentine poet whose work is said to have not only influenced the works of other medieval poets such as the Englishman Geoffrey Chaucer, but also said to have strongly influenced the standardisation of the Italian language. Much of his work was inspired by a lady called Beatrice Portinari, who Dante had been acquainted with in his early years and who appeared to consume his thoughts as somebody he seemingly adored. Tensions in the south of Italy escalated to breaking point when the Angevin Duke Charles I took advantage of civil unrest in the Holy Roman Empire to take control of the Kingdom of Sicily during the 1260s. If you recall, we told of how the Germans arranged a political marriage in Sicily in order to extend their influence there during the late twelfth century. Now, the Angevins had taken control, but the Sicilians were not thrilled about this change, especially when Angevin representatives reportedly manhandled Sicilian women while searching for weapons. The Sicilians rose up against the Angevins and tensions increased very rapidly and to a large scale. The Sicilians would appeal to the Aragonese kingdom on the Iberian Peninsula to join them in warring with the Angevins, and the result would be the partitioning of the Kingdom of Sicily into the island of Sicily under the rule of the Aragonese, and the Kingdom of Naples under the rule of the Angevins. This was also a time of the emergence of the Swiss Confederacy that was a coalition of neighbouring states that were able to demand special privileges of their overlords, the Holy Roman Empire, and this would be the nucleus of what would become the modern country of Switzerland. The Great Interregnum. The Holy Roman Empire had been at its greatest extent at the second half of the 12th century through to the first half of the 13th century. The ruling dynasty was the Hohenstaufen dynasty, and one of the most notable members was Frederick Barbarossa. His grandson, through his own son King Henry VI, ruled Germany as King Frederick II. When Frederick II died in 1250, a number of rival kings were vying for the throne of Germany, and this destabilised and decentralised the Holy Roman Empire. The realm was divided in their support for whichever claimant they preferred and the electors could not agree on which dynasty to support. This period has subsequently been referred to as the Great Ignoregnum of the Holy Roman Empire. In the year 1273, the electorates of the Holy Roman Empire opted to crown the Swabian count called Rudolf. Rudolf was a descendant of Radbot of Kletgau, who is known for building Habsburg Castle in the early 11th century. Although Habsburg Castle was in Swabia at the time, it can now be located in the modern country of Switzerland. The significance of this is the fact that Rudolf belonged to the House of Habsburg and the Habsburgs would go on to have a significant impact on the history of Europe. Initially, though, they were just one house that were putting forward challenges for the German crown. It would be Charles of Luxembourg who would step up in the face of rival families to instigate a bid to take authority in Germany and see to it that he was crowned King of Germany before heading to Rome to be crowned Holy Roman Emperor. Charles would rule as Charles IV and he would establish a new process for the election of a Holy Roman Emperor. Now it would be granted by the electorate of the Holy Roman Empire and no longer by the Pope. The Reconquista Meanwhile in the Iberian Peninsula we know that the balance of power between Christian Iberia and Muslim Al-Andalus was balanced by the collapse of the Caliphate of Cordoba which split Al-Andalus up into smaller Muslim Taifas. Powerful Islamic movements based across the Mediterranean Sea in the lands of Morocco started showing an interest in the opportunities on the Iberian Peninsula and the Almohads who were the second of these most powerful movements, started taking control of these disjointed Muslim Taifas. The Almohads defeated the powerful Christian kingdom of Castile in battle at the end of the 12th century. So the Pope Innocent III called a crusade and this resulted in a combined Christian effort which defeated the Almohads at the Battle of Las Navas de Tolosa in 1212. In the aftermath, the Almohads were pushed out of the Iberian Peninsula and one by one the Muslim taifas collapsed to the advancing Christian nations until just one remained, namely the Emirate of Granada. Castile would look to exercise its superiority over the other Christian nations, but the one that they had the most trouble with was the Kingdom of Portugal, who defeated the Castilians at the Battle of Aljubajota in 1385, preventing Castile from gaining control of the Portuguese throne and maintaining Portuguese independence. North East Europe the politics of Northeast Europe were ever changing since the nations were relatively new and still establishing themselves, and the nations had been disrupted by the advances of the Golden Horde from the east. Now they all had to re establish themselves, and this would inevitably result in tensions between them. Alexander Ranievsky had created the Principality of Moscow for his son Daniel but there may have been an area of power at Moscow previous to this. This principality was certainly a subject to the Golden Horde, initially, who dominated the great majority of Raus territories. The principality would initially pass from Daniel to his son Yuri and then to Yuri's younger brother Ivan. The Principality of Moscow would have issues with the Principality of Tver to its northeast, but the Khan of the Golden Horde would join with Moscow to defeat Tver, as Tver was rebelling against the Khanate. As a result, Ivan was rewarded by becoming the Grand Prince of Vladimir. Ivan was very careful to stay on the right side of the Khan and earned his respect by being an effective tax collector. Ivan's shrewdness led to him purchasing further territories to expand the Principality of Moscow, and the successful establishment of a centre for Eastern Orthodox Christianity within Moscow. This was the beginning of the rise of the Great City. Towards the end of the Middle Ages, feudalism was declining in favour of capitalism where freedom of trade was generating power for the most successful in society. The merchant classes were now able to exercise more influence over society in general as a consequence. Still, the threat of raids was a very real problem in the lands of the Baltic Sea, long after the age of the Vikings had gone. Many German trade ports decided to work together to protect their common interests against such raids, And so, this was the beginnings of the Hanseatic League. More and more port cities from neighbouring countries joined the League and created a powerful merchant confederation that stretched from Novgorod in the east all the way to the waterways of Zeeland in the west, which is in the modern Netherlands. The modern coastlines of Poland and Lithuania were included as under the influence of the Hanseatic League. But during the 14th century, these coastlines were controlled by the Teutonic Order which was established by a German monastic order that originated from the lands of the Crusader states during the age of the Crusades to the Holy Land. The Teutonic Order pushed Poland and Lithuania into a union against it towards the end of the 14th century and the result was a large battle at Grundwald in 1410 in which the Polish-Lithuanian Union dealt a devastating defeat on the Teutonic Order which caused the start of its rapid decline in the aftermath. Although the Hanseatic League included some Scandinavian cities it was still enough of a concern for the monarchy and the nobility of the Scandinavian kingdoms to react to the potential threat of German expansion and rule over the Baltic Sea. With the intermarriage of the kingdoms of Denmark with the kingdoms of Norway and Sweden, came an opportunity for a political union between the countries that would be called the Kalmar Union. So now there were two major influences counterbalancing one another across the Baltic Sea. The Western Schism. During the early 14th century, the Pope Clement V moved the papal court near to the city of Avignon, and this was justified on the grounds of a lack of security in Rome. Avignon was within the Holy Roman Empire at the time, but now it is within France. At the time... King Philip IV of France was attempting to tax the clergy, which led to a clash between the French crown and the papacy. The power of the French king was difficult for the papacy to challenge, and so concessions had to be made. Philip had issue with the Knights Templar, a military monastic order originally established in the Crusader states, much like the Teutonic Order. Philip was making accusations of heresy against the Knights Templar, but the Pope Clement V did little to protect the order, fearing more for the repercussions against the papacy than losing the diminished value of the order to the papacy. Pope Clement disbanded the order, and this enabled Philip IV to arrest, torture, and execute many of the remaining members of the Order of the Knights Templar. In 1378, the papacy had the intention of moving back to Rome from Avignon. But Pope Gregory XI died while this move was in motion, and the people of Rome had their hearts set on the recovery of the papal court to the city of Rome. So the cardinals elected Pope Urban VI to replace him the cardinals quickly realised that they had made a bad decision in electing Pope Urban. So they reconvened and elected Pope Clement Seventh, stating that the election of Urban VI was made under duress for fear of riots in Rome. Now there were two popes, Urban in Rome and Clement in Avignon. And this affected all of the countries of Roman Catholic Europe who had to select which Pope they believed was legitimate. The situation needed to be resolved, but it was not until the 1410s that the Council of Constance was called in the Holy Roman Empire. The Council deposed the existing papal claimants and elected the new Pope Martin V, thus ending the Western Schism. This wasn't the only headline of the Council of Constance though as the council led to the execution of a man who was challenging the authority of the papacy over the Roman Catholic Church. The man was called Jan Hus and his execution on the charge of heresy led to a national uprising of the people of Bohemia against the authority of the Roman Catholic Church. These people were called the Hussites and they believed that the words of the Bible were the true authority of Christianity. The Hussites represented a very real Protestant movement, with these movements leading to a major fracture of the Roman Catholic Church in later centuries. Florentine Art One of the most notable aspects of the end of the Middle Ages is the transition of art into a period known as the Renaissance The Renaissance was a period of economic revival in Europe which encouraged some of the more successful ideas of the classical world to be rejuvenated in a later time. This certainly included advances in art. We already mentioned the Florentine poet Dante whose writings greatly influenced those of later writers of the Renaissance period. A Florentine contemporary of Dante was a man called Giotto di Bondone. Giotto was a painter with an incredible talent for painting lifelike human images and as such he was invited to paint great religious frescoes. His work was widely admired and said to have had a strong influence on the painters of the Renaissance period. Undoubtedly the work of Giotto would influence the 15th century Florentine painter who would paint the Holy Trinity in the church of Santa Maria Novella in a three-dimensional manner, a style that Giotto had previously attempted to master. The artworks of these men would have influenced Michelangelo, the highly celebrated Florentine artist who lived over the turn of the 16th century during a period called the High Renaissance. Another early Renaissance innovation of the growing power of the Republic of Florence was the construction of a dome in the classical Roman style at Florence Cathedral. Many architects struggled to understand how they could successfully build this classical dome at the eastern end of the otherwise Gothic style cathedral but it would come down to a man called Filippo Brunelleschi who successfully constructed the dome after studying the dome of the Pantheon in Rome. The cathedral remains there today with its successful and beautiful fusion of two styles. The Hundred Years' War. Tensions between the great kingdoms of England and France had existed since the existence of the Angevin Empire from the 12th century, when the monarch of England had a legitimate claim to large amounts of lands that were traditionally a part of France. The French had chosen to make an alliance with the Kingdom of Scotland during a period of heightened tensions between England and Scotland. The English had attempted to subjugate Scotland until the Scots fought back against English pressure. A key figure and a hero of Scottish history, called William Wallace, instigated a brave uprising that rallied many Scottish rebels against the cause. Wallace was eventually brutally executed by the English, but this did not prevent the anti-English cause in Scotland. The man behind the English pressure was their King, Edward I, but after Edward's death, the rise of Robert the Bruce for the Scots proved to be more than a match for Edward's son, King Edward II, who Robert defeated at the Battle of Bannockburn, securing Scotland's independence. The first half of the 14th century was a desperate time for the population of Europe. A great famine during the 1310s weakened populations of northern Europe including those of the British Isles and northern France and would debilitate them enough that when the Black Death arrived 30 years later it would wipe out between a third and a half of all their remaining populations. The land holdings of England and France would now be more important to them as ever, and so tensions reached breaking point as King Edward II's son, King Edward III of England, would attempt to make a claim for the French crown in order to preserve English possessions. This marked the beginning of the Hundred Years' War. The English seized the initiative before the outbreak of the Black Death by winning the famous battle at Crécy in 1346, The victory was achieved in large part by the clever deployment of English longbowmen, much to the surprise of the French army. Then the outbreak of the Black Death a wave of the plague disrupted everything going on in Europe for the next few years before the resumption of hostilities between the two countries. The son of King Edward III, Edward the Black Prince, further consolidated French misery by scoring an unlikely victory at Poitiers where the French king John II was captured and held for ransom. John's death in captivity left the English without their huge bargaining chip, even though a temporary peace had been agreed with the two countries at Bretigny in 1360. The later 14th century saw domestic issues in England and France often taking precedence over the international situation. King Richard II of England had to deal with the Peasants' Revolt before being dethroned by his cousin who ruled England as King Henry IV. Jewish expulsions were taking place in France towards the end of the 14th century, something that would regularly happen to Jewish populations in many Roman Catholic countries during the later centuries of the Middle Ages. It would be Henry IV's son, King Henry V of England, who would renew the military offensive against France by making a large-scale effort to make a bid for the French crown at the beginning of the 15th century. The bid was almost squashed in its early stages had it not been for the heroic victory of the English at the Battle of Agincourt in 1415. This victory enabled Henry to go back to England and prepare for a more successful invasion of northern France in which he would be able to gain a very definite influence over the French crown. Henry V died suddenly before he could do much more and under his son Henry VI of England, the tide turned against the English. One of the most influential figures in this French revival was a young peasant girl known to history as Joan of Arc. Joan's determined influence over the French king, Charles VII, and the French army may have inspired them to great victories against the English. The English would capture and execute Joan, but the momentum was now fully in favour of the French. And by 1453, England had lost all of their continental territories to the French, save the small pale of Calais on the north coast. The Hundred Years' War was over the rise of the ottomans the year 1453 was highly significant for another reason as it was also the year that the city of constantinople fell to the ottomans signaling the end of the byzantine empire whose story was the backbone of medieval period in southeast europe during the 14th century the ottomans had gained influence from humble beginnings as a small islamic entity in anatolia The Ottomans had gained enough influence to be invited to be involved in a civil dispute within the Byzantine Empire and the Ottomans would take advantage of this by marching an army into Europe via Gallipoli and then refusing to leave once their aid had been used. Once established in Europe, the Ottomans gained ambitions of conquering the European lands of the Byzantines and their Balkan neighbours. They successfully conquered Adrianople in 1361 before going on to do battle with the Serbs at the Battle of Kosovo in 1389 that was somewhat inconclusive but was still a result of national pride for the nation of Serbia right up until the present day. From here the Ottomans were already well established as a European nation now and the city of Constantinople was surrounded Constantinople was allowed to exist as the remains of the Byzantine Empire until the Ottomans decided to deliver the fatal blow when the Ottoman Sultan Mehmed II conquered Constantinople in 1453 permanently making it an Islamic city. thank you very much for listening to that marathon episode, I don't think I've ever written such a long episode maybe I'm wrong, I just can't remember it went on for a long time there's so much to pack into that episode I really underestimated how much information I needed to provide and I did want to touch on some other things such as like Renaissance Art and Thomas Beckett and things that we hadn't mentioned in the the series so uh, it was very important to me to make a good episode there so I hope you enjoyed it and for those of you who set aside half an hour to listen to my podcast episodes i apologize i apologize that it was too much to fit in so uh, you might have to make a little bit of extra time to squeeze in the other 15 minutes anyway if you enjoy the podcast you'd love to support the podcast we'd love to hear from you and uh, if you uh, go to the history of the world podcast.com website there's a patreon link and you can sign up And make a monthly contribution. You can also subscribe through Spotify uh, by becoming a subscriber there as well. And either way, you become a member of the History of the World podcast, Illuminati. You get uh, access to bonus episodes, which are 10 or 15 minute rundowns of the episodes that we've been providing. So we normally release them every one or two weeks. And uh, also you can qualify for rewards as well. So you can qualify for gifts through the post and you can qualify for special episodes on the subject of your choice. Which is interesting actually because uh, now that we've completed Medieval Europe, we're going to be embarking on a program of eight special episodes uh, especially for those History of the World podcast Illuminati members who've qualified for that privilege, and we've got a really fascinating collection of episodes to bring to you, and, and they'll be coming over the next uh, over the next coming weeks. Uh, before we embark on another journey to um, medieval Asia, so we'll be exploring India, China, uh, Mongolia, of course. Uh, Korea, Japan, and, uh, the, and Southeast Asia as well. So there's so much to bring you in terms of Asian history coming up. But first, we'll do all the special episodes, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them shortly. Listener messages and reviews. Got a couple of messages this week. I've got one from Phil Rusco who's written in and said, Chris, I'm about to embark on Volume 4, The Medieval World, and want to thank you for intriguing me into a journey of human history. I marvel at the depth and breadth of your episodes. It is indeed a pleasure to be along for the ride. Phil, P.S. and pondering which Patreon level to join. Um, I'd love you to join uh, Patreon, uh, but at least, yeah, anyone that... um is uh in two minds at least rate and review the podcast that's a great help but thank you for your message phil anna maria seseña has written in and said thank you so much for making this podcast i'm very late to the content but really trying to catch up i have terrible internet service because i live out in wine country in baja california Mexico, about an hour south of San Diego, California. So every time I can, I download a bunch of episodes on Spotify and then listen to them offline when my crappy satellite internet is acting up. I'm impressed with your pronunciation of Spanish words in the, in the Mexico, Peru and Spain episodes, which most narrators tend to butcher. Therefore, I'm pretty sure your China pronunciations are spot on, even if you say they're tricky to get right. Um, You should be very proud of yourself for taking on this huge endeavour. I finally feel like my history education is up to par thanks to your hard work. Gracias from Baja California, Norte, Mexico. And who knows, maybe I'll go on Patreon and donate just to get an episode on the history of our state, which might be boring to most, but thrilling to us who live on the peninsula and are so different than uh, the mainland Mexicans. We are progressive rebels who have had to put up with not being American enough for the US, even though... Um, A quarter of a million of us cross the border at Tijuana uh, and other entries daily to work there legally, but uh, not Mexican enough for mainland Mexico either. We're not Catholic enough or do not have the same traditions because we're workaholics and don't believe in class systems or stratification, as you call it. Or maybe an episode on how Mexico lost half its territory to the U.S., with the Guadalupe-Hidalgo Treaty. Uh, that might be a good one. Sad but true. Thanks again from a big fan. Saludos. Uh, thank you, Anna. Very uh, very, very kind of you to uh, write such an interesting message. And uh, I, I know so little about Baja California. Um, I, I would love to learn more. So I do hope that maybe you will... Do uh, do just that and commission an episode on that on that subject. Maybe we can explore it a bit further and uh, bring it to the attention of many others. So, thank you, Anna. A great uh, great email there. Um, a couple of reviews this week. H R T J T J Y H has said nice. My mum used to listen to it. I am her son, and I am starting. Uh, thank you very much. That's from the USA. And uh, Dan9091 from Romania has put quality content. I started listening to this podcast in 2022 and was immediately convinced by the quality content, well-documented information explained in an easy-to-understand manner. The summary episodes are very useful. The pace of the podcast is good. I also appreciate the humble attitude and objective thinking and explaining arguments towards a theory or another. Great piece of podcasting. Well, thank you, Dan. Um, Next week, Um, hopefully I might be able to get get you an episode, it's going to be quite a tough ask actually, getting 8 special episodes out over the next 8 weeks, so they could be interspersed with a few uh, unscripted episodes, but um, I will try, if I have to do unscripted episodes, I will try and bring you some uh, retrospective stuff like uh, like the last unscripted episode so you're actually getting a, a little bit of content rather than just me rabbiting on about um, one thing and another. Um, so um, what, what have we got to look forward to um, over the next uh, coming episodes? Um, we've got special episodes. We're going to be looking at the Yamnaya culture um, which um, is somewhat synonymous with the Proto-Indo-European uh, theory, um, we're going to be looking at the evolution of religion. So we've talked a lot about religion, we've talked a lot about aspects of religion, uh, how the modern religions sort of evolved in the modern world, and, of course, the the view of um, uh, ancient Canaanite religion, which sort of predates uh, biblical literature. And... Um, so we'll have a look at um, what religion is and and how it evolved, really. So we'll be looking at it from a slightly different angle. We'll be looking at the Emirate of Granada, which uh, was the last surviving uh, Muslim taifa of um, of the Iberian Peninsula, and like the the very at the very end of the Reconquista. So we'll be looking at that. We'll be looking at pre-Columbian mound builders, and this will sort of go almost, this linking well with our um, our episode about the Mississippian culture which we made for uh, the late Nick Barksdale who's one of the greatest supporters of our podcast so we'll be looking at pre-Columbian mound builders we'll be talking about the Sea Dogs who were the maritime heroes of Elizabeth I's reign uh, Elizabeth I, the English Queen of course um, we'll be taking a look at Easy Company, who were uh, an American regiment um, involved with the Second World War. Um, so we'll be exploring 20th century history, which will be exciting. We'll be looking at the history of the country of Thailand. And we'll be taking a special look at historiography, which is the, the study of history and history writing, the history of history. So that'll be something completely different. So that's what we've got to look forward to until we resume volume four. So there's going to be some incredible subjects that we're going to be exploring. So I'm really excited to try and bring those to you. But uh, yeah, it might be a bit of a struggle for me to bring one a week. Um, So you'll have to sort of bear with me, I think, a little bit. Anyway, um, if you want, you can uh, now go to Patreon or... Um, If you are a subscriber on Spotify, you'll be able to enjoy a bonus episode now, another 10, 15 minutes of chit-chat about the episodes that we've just created and how they were created. Uh, So um, don't miss out on that. Um, Otherwise, thanks for listening. And until next week, be good. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must-not-take-yourself-too-seriously and... 6-1, since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The History of the World Podcast. Written and presented by Chris Hasler. Please consider making financial contribution by going to the history of the website and clicking on the patreon link email the show at history of the world podcast at mail.com and don't forget to join our social media at Facebook Twitter Instagram and tumblr See you next time.